Hello, my name is Hanson Oak, and I'd like to tell you my story. A good friend of mine who studies these kinds of things once told me that if octopuses weren't absentee parents, this species could stand to rule the world. The reason is such that each generation of them must begin again. Knowledge is not passed down and so cannot be used as a foundation to be improved upon. In his mind, Armageddon may well come if a diver loses his cell phone in the water and an octopus discovers Google. If you spent any time with these amazing creatures, you'd understand how troubling that prospect is. While we do pass along information and hard-fought knowledge to each generation, as time stretches on, we also lose, forget, or omit a great deal of it. We've cast aside countless gods before clinging to new ones, lost sight of ceremony and tradition when we were cut from our bond with nature and told salvation was above the clouds. We were once so aware that we were not alone, before only allowing ourselves to believe myths and legends, fables and folklore, held only the power to entertain. The troll is a well-known creature of various names. It's a species we've all but forgotten because we no longer suffer them regularly. When they are thought of in books and movies, they are made out to be giant, ugly, stunningly stupid beings, hiding beneath bridges thinking of riddles to trick a poor traveler with. If we believe this without question, instead of relaying the true knowledge, then, like an octopus, we do so at our own detriment. Now admittedly, it is true that by human standards, trolls are an unattractive bunch, beyond crossing the line of being so ugly as to become cute, but they're not grotesque. They're also not stupid, as some varieties are quite intelligent with cultures and languages all their own. As for size, some are very large, like the Grimple, who exists in the wilderness of Norway and Iceland, while others, such as the Brilbrin of South America, can hide beneath fallen leaves quite comfortably. But, Mr. Oak, you might ask, why have I never seen a troll? To which I might counter, have you ever really looked? This, of course, brings us to the common belief that connects trolls to bridges and riddles. Now, this is true, but only to a certain type of troll. It's the same with owls. When most people think of them, they imagine the iconic hooting, as I'm sure you hear in your mind right now. But only the great horned owl creates this call. So it is with trolls. Only the Vitata seek out bridges, and only footbridges or livestock bridges, as they are frightened of cars and wholly avoid population centers. Not long ago, I received a letter from Megan Byrne asking me to head to Ireland because of trouble with such a variety of troll. She was a new widow. Her husband had been consumed by a particularly ornery troll a month prior for failing to answer a riddle while trying to cross a bridge on his own land. The flock of sheep he was leading home in a storm that night were also missing, presumably dessert. When I arrived at the modest home, a strange cross was painted on the front door. It was curved like the crescent moon with a bright red stripe that ran the length of its center. I sat with Megan as we had tea and she recalled memories of her husband, a good man by all accounts. I couldn't help but notice the same strange cross that adorned the front door also marked various objects in the home and a small silver pendant of the same dangled from a delicate chain around Megan's neck. She noticed my curiosity and explained that it was the symbol of Brazna, a forgotten god of the countryside. 
that had always protected them from the creatures in the wilderness until now. It was then that she asked me to rid the bridge of the troll because it's a crossing many locals use to alternate grazing of their animals. I agreed to try as no outcome is certain and I do hate breaking promises even if it's out of my control. I told her I need a few things and the first of those was to visit the stables to see the horses. The rain began to tumble from the sky at dusk and it would serve and hinder me as rain tends to do. It ensured the troll would be present during my arrival as they are most active at night, though not exclusively, and during the rain, though not entirely. Its hinderance came because I was not taking paved roads. This was a very rural country, far from pavement and street lamps, and the fields and trails I used became muddy very quickly. My horse, loaded down with heavy bags, would not follow on its own, so I had to pull it all the way. It was heavy, clumsy, constantly sinking and sliding as it went. I found myself sweating and panting and cursing and grunting with each step. The horse had sunk into the mud, which threatened to suck the boots from my own feet as well. What I thought would be a simple shower to entice the troll into the open to wet its toad-like flesh turned out to be quite a storm, but so is Irish weather. When I finally arrived at the bridge, after a far longer and more arduous journey than a crude map would have led me to believe, I was in a valley ringed by rolling hills and tall grass that was cut in half by a fast-moving stream with sheer edges. It was swollen with rain, full from drink, biting at their borders. It was only a single bridge spanning it, a rustic but well-built structure of stone and cut logs. I pulled and heaved my horse to it. My lungs burned from the effort and I let them relax some before placing a foot on the deck of the bridge. The thick cloak I wore to protect me from the rain and hide my identity was as heavy as a mooring chain, weighed down by sweat and water. I wanted to pull it from my body and to let the cold rains and bitter winds wash over me, but I could not take the risk. The odds were that this troll would know me, and if it knew me, it would know why I was here, and whatever upper hand I could manage by the benefit of surprise would be gone. How could this creature half a world away possibly know me if I had never been here before? Well, that is a question I've pondered into migraine. The closest I've come to an answer is knowing that all things are connected, and some things are more connected than other things, while humanity is less connected than almost anything, so we've lost our ability to tap into this web of life. Even I, a person who wades through the murky waters between here and there, then and now, them and us, cannot fully engage in this knowledge. After my lungs gave up their heaving and my heart returned to its basic beat, I took a step onto the bridge. The moment my weight engaged the wood, something stirred below it. The bridge shivered, the night grumbled, the thing below me was splashing into the water on its way up the steep bank. When it managed to reach the far end of the bridge, it stood tall, wide, bigger than me by double. I could hear it breathing, thinking looking at me curiously as I did not react to its appearance. I didn't run or scream, I just stood with my head low beneath my hood. You may pass if you can answer three questions. The smell of its breath, even at a dozen paces, is overwhelming. And if I answer wrong, I ask this knowing the rotting flesh between its huge teeth are what the punishment of my wrong answers would be. Then your journey ends here, tonight forever. I tell it I want more. If I can answer the question I wanted to leave, find a new place for itself far away, perhaps in a cave. It finds no amusement in my demand, and I explain that if I'm wagering my life, surely it would wager its shelter, 
but it does not agree, saying as long as this bridge stands, it will be under it. An answer I fully expected from this stubborn giant monster. I agree to its terms, having really no other options, and step forward. My horse holds me back, stuck in the mud behind me. I curse, pull at it again, harder, wrapping the rope around my chest, but it won't budge. I slip, fall, gasping for air again. I am exhausted, and so I hold up the rope and ask if the troll wouldn't mind convincing my companion to join me on the bridge. The troll takes the rope, its two fingers holding what took my whole hand to accomplish, and with the slightest of tugs, pulls the horse up onto the bridge deck behind me. I take the rope back and thank it. It stares at my horse, who is quiet and still under the blankets and burdens that I have it in. The troll cocks its head and asks me what type of horse this is. I feel my spine tighten and my mouth turns dry. I'm quick to say it's a curious one and a stubborn one, both true. And then I ask if it'd be interested in eating it rather than me. The troll scoffs, stands tall, and asks, What runs but never walks? babbles but never talks, has a bed but never sleeps, and has a mouth but never eats. I see its huge form lean forward, ready to pounce at my mistaken answer. Its grin grew each second I didn't answer, and I let the clues roll around in my head for a moment, looking for patterns, a repetition that might give an answer away. A river, I said. The troll did not share my levity, its body growing tense in frustration, its stomach growled with hunger. I took a step forward and dragged the horse behind me to the middle of the bridge. He stood tall, let out a scream, and said that he still had two questions. The rain was coming harder now. The river was rising, sounding like the chorus of screaming souls trying to cling to the banks as they were being pulled down to hell. The troll leaned into the bridge rails, bending them forward. If you feed me, it said, I will grow and live. If you give me drink, I will shrink and die. What am I? I thought about the question, curious of the details. A chill ran through me. I was soaked into my flesh and my warmth had retreated. My finger searched for a dry spot in my pocket, but instead found a glass tube that held my matches. Then the answer came to me. A fire, I shouted. The troll twisted and yelled into the dark sky. I turned around and I looked at back at my horse's position on the bridge. Still closer to the edge than I needed it to be, the stubborn thing had to come towards the center. I took a big step forward and heaved the rope. The horse slid on the wet deck into the middle. The troll turned, swatted at me with its giant filthy fingers and cracked sharp nails. We are not done, it said. Its voice was like two stones grinding together. Forgive me, I said, but my horse is pushy when it's hungry. Let me feed it something to calm its stomach so we can continue. The troll was silent. I took its lack of protest as consent and pulled the match from my pocket. I lit one and the flame colored the troll in the true horror that the shadows hid. So grotesque and malformed were its features that to describe them with any words would be a disservice to the level of offensively putrid characteristics that they held. Rest assured, it would make a goat vomit in its nightmares. Between the cold and my nerves, my hands were shaking. While I concentrated on keeping the match lit, the other hand struggled to find what I was looking for under the layers of the horse's coverings. The troll was at a loss for patience, and it growled and stepped forward, its huge hand reaching out and reaching past me, grabbing my horse, pulling it into its massive palm. 
With an unexpected speed, it took my companion off its feet, and the troll carried it to its waiting mouth with thick, rotting teeth and sore-covered tongue, awaiting its arrival. Now, it should be explained that what the troll was about to bite, what I had dragged and pulled and pushed and cursed through the muddy surroundings to arrive here, was not a horse at all. It was a sled piled high and tied with a large cache of rock-clearing explosive that the Widow Burns' late husband had stored in the stables. I'd intended them for the bridge, but it seemed the troll was intent on having them for himself. Just as the beast bit down into my Trojan horse, I ran back to the far end of the bridge as fast as I could myself no longer being moved by my feet. I was in the air and at the mercy of gravity and forced momentum as the explosion tossed me like a wet doll into the field. After a moment of unconsciousness, I sat up with a headache as I'd never had. The landscape was exposed to the bright of the fires that burned. Bits of bridge and chunks of troll were alight around me in the fields. Both were reduced to pieces too small to patch back together. Standing took a minute, first having to take stock that all my own parts were present and nothing was bleeding too alarmingly to carry on. Satisfied that I was only slightly damaged, I looked above me at a curious star poking its head through the clouds to see what had just happened. On the newly excavated riverbank, I saw something sparkling, reflecting the dancing light of the fire. It was a pendant, a curved cross with a red line down the center. I picked it out of the mud, wiped it off, and began my long walk, or limp, back to the widow's house to deliver the lost piece of her husband and, hopefully, a bit of closure.